This is a podcast from meow.net. Meow! Connecting people working for cultural democracy in Europe and America, this is a culture of possibility. With Arlene Goldbard and Francois Matarasso. Welcome to episode number five of A Culture of Possibility, our podcast about things that people are doing in community art and cultural policy, cultural democracy in the United States and in, in Europe. My name is Arlene Goldbarn. I'm a co-host here, and I'm speaking to you from Lamy, New Mexico, which is in the southwest of the United States. Hello, and I'm Francois Matarasso. I'm speaking to you from uh, central France, where I live. Uh, I'm also uh, a community artist and a a writer like um, Arlene. And we are delighted to introduce our guest, Denise Griffin Johnson. Denise, say hi and tell people where you are. Hello, I'm Denise, and uh, I'm from the uh, East Coast uh, of the United States. In Baltimore City, we like to call out Baltimore instead of the state of Maryland. And I do cultural organizing work. And uh, when I'm interacting, I tell people I am a cultural organizer. Cool. Very cool. Great. Thank you, Denise. Um, I'm going to kick us off really uh, asking you about uh, your current situation out of my ignorance because I've only been I've spent three days of my life in Washington DC that's the extent of my knowledge of America and that was 20 years ago uh, so I really uh, have this experience as a European of understanding America through the media and of course because America is such a, a powerful and attractive and, and complex place uh, it kind of fascinates people around the world. And I spent a lot of time watching the political situation, the Black Lives Matter movements, all the events that have happened in the last year. And this extraordinary change of government that happened with the inauguration, which I sat and watched on my computer and found very moving. And I just wanted to, to hear from you in Baltimore and get a sense of how uh, how the things feel now in in the states as the change uh, begun to to filter down to to the grassroots is there a change of atmosphere or is this all um, quite a, a a distant political uh, set of events how does it feel to you uh, like the United States. <laughs> I just mean the, the, the change of, of government, the new presidency. Is there a sense of optimism or are you still waiting to see what's going to happen? Well, um, I like to talk about 2020 and, and talk about it as a beautiful thing that occurred. And, and when I say beautiful, using that as an adjective... Mm-hmm. Just thinking about the uh, magnitude of, one, the virus that caused everybody to have to be still. And then, two, to watch um, a national, uh, worldwide protest uh, around black people. The magnitude of the organizing and mobilizing. Three, to watch the insurrection and looking through the lens of organizing, the magnitude of mobilizing and organizing the base. So I say kudos to Trump in terms of the power, being able to watch the power of organizing happen based on what people believe is most important to them. So completely looking through the lens of organizing, the lens of story and the insurrection, 
that showed all of its symbolism, just as the Black Lives Matter shows all of its symbolism. And then to see what happened in Georgia, again, the organizing and mobilizing around um, those things that people find important. And then to be able to see uh, the the left and the right happen. And so one of the things that I appreciate most that happened um, specifically was the, with the Black Lives Matter protest is people actually uh, being able to open their eyes. And maybe that is because we all had to be still and we all had to watch and see and maybe hear a little differently and or um, see a little differently. So the aftermath for me is really appreciating seeing more black folks in the media. Uh, And that was, and I'm hoping that that is an intentional thing and not just for the moment because of the fanfare and the protests. And another historical thing that happened was convicting a uh, police officer. That was history in the making. And that was a beautiful thing uh, to watch also. So in terms of the, the presidency, um, we feel a, a feeling of relief. Uh, we didn't have any respect for the former president. Um, there's nothing that he said made sense. Uh, he didn't say anything significant that um, wanted us to even listen to him. And then the fact that the work that we focus on is people. We focus on people, we focus on community, and you make fun of everybody. So uh, it's difficult to respect and be willing to to uh, listen to a person who thinks and behaves that way when your values and your beliefs are the opposite. So, yeah, there's optimism, a lot of optimism because of the protesting, because of being able to see the power of mobilizing and organizing, which is is one of the things that we're working working on uh, in Baltimore City and West Baltimore. So yeah, there is a lot of optimism. Thank you, Denise. That's pretty much how it feels out here in in New Mexico. Too cautious optimism, but I have to say he's been better than I thought he was going to be so far, Biden. So fingers crossed on all that. Um, So, Denise, I was trying to think what year you and I met. I think it was 2013, maybe it was 2014, but um, it was through the U.S. Department of Arts and Culture, which listeners abroad may sound like an official department, but is not. It's an artist and organizer-led project that has been kind of impersonating a Ministry of Culture in the United States to call for the things that the public sector really should be doing for, for cultural equity and cultural development. And Denise was part of the first cohort of what we called cultural organizers, which were people who were based in communities across the U.S. and who were responsible for convening their community, imagining what the future could be like together and doing you know constructive projects in those places and being part of like a cohort of other organizers who learned together. Um, and folks, if you want to check that out, uh, the website is up. The organization's still running. You go to usdac.us and you'll find quite a few resources that are free and downloadable. But ending the public service announcement, I wanted to ask Denise, I know that you had had quite a bit of experience developing your practice in cultural organizing before we ever met. And I'm wondering if you could kind of tell us the origin story, like how did you get into it? What drew you? Um, Why? Well, um, so I I got into uh, organizing as a a very uh, young person. uh, And I was asked to organize in the community in which I lived and um, realized that after becoming a cultural organizer, that I was organizing around issues, problems, crime, sanitation, infant mortality, homelessness, those kinds of things. Um, 
and uh, moving forward in my life and uh, meeting a visual artist who did who did I'm sorry a, a his thesis on the highway to nowhere and the highway to nowhere is a a 52 uh 52 acres of space that was developed in West Baltimore and West Baltimore is where I was raised and that highway was erected it was part of this country promoting development, promoting cars, promoting tires, and they created these highways in many black communities. And in Baltimore, West Baltimore, the highway doesn't go anywhere. And so the community named it the highway to nowhere. And if you if you look at the literature, <laughs> that's exactly what it's called, the highway to nowhere. Uh and uh so it tore down a big part of our community in West Baltimore, took away a lot of our assets, schools, churches, businesses, people's homes, so on and so forth, and with the intent of suburbanites coming into Baltimore City uh, to work and they don't have to see what white folks called our slums. And of course, we didn't call our community out. We didn't call our community slums. We called our community our home. Um, so I met this visual artist that was focusing on this particular project. And it was pretty fascinating. This project happened in the 50s. And the artist uh, was talking about it at a um, community meeting. And it was like pretty interesting. It was like all of these years, why is somebody talking about this? particular space that I intentionally stopped using. I don't use the highway to nowhere. Why? Because when you get on it, you're going to save yourself maybe two minutes. That's how ridiculous it is. Uh, and then it's, it's, it's tunneled so deep that you won't see anything about the community and the people. So, and my father was uh, also displaced. Um, with that particular project. So I realized that that was a part of my story. But the most fascinating thing for me. Was that this visual artist. Was able to visualize something. On these 52 acres of just cement. In all of the years. That I've lived in Baltimore. I was never able to visualize anything. About that space. Other than the concrete. And the disruption that. It caused and still causes uh, in the community. And I uh, began to work with the uh, visual artists. Uh, my role then uh, with Bon Secours Foundation uh, was project director related to revitalizing uh, the area based on what the folks in the community wanted. So I saw this as, as a project of engagement and being able to work with the artists and to start to visualize how we could how we can engage folks around the things that are most important to us is how I stepped into growing the knowledge and understanding of of cultural organizing and I found it so exciting. I still do find find it exciting simply because you can create and you can co-create together and with that co-creation you you're building knowledge you're, you're building the practice you you are are deepening your beliefs and deepening deepening your your values about a place that you care about and about people that you you care about and it's just a great way to reconnect and 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 build connections uh and it took me a lot of years to get to that place of understanding that is a perfect fit for how I was raised, the, the place that I love, which is, is West Baltimore, and the way the community was at that time that fed me my sense of humanity, my sense of, uh, of self, uh, uh, feeling proud, uh, uh, feeling protected, uh, uh, giving, getting foundational things that allowed me to emerge into adult, into adulthood to be able to navigate 
uh, a whole <laughs> new entry into a bigger world when you step out of your community, you step into larger, larger communities with different people from different backgrounds. And I'm talking about work experiences where you see people are different. Their values are different. Their attitudes are different. The way that they move uh, are different. The way that they view things are different. And, and, and so one of the things in particular about my upbringing, we never dealt with classism. Uh, we never talked about the haves and the and the have nots. Um, and so entering um, into adult life, those were the kinds of things that I began to be exposed to, and uh, it caused me to say, "Are they talking about me? Are they talking about where I come from and who my parents are?" And and just to add that, my parents had to grow up um, there from West Point, Mississippi. And they had to endure Jim Crow South. And uh, my father um, enlisted. I just you know, The strength of my father, I see it as strength and courage, to enlist in, in a war so that he could stay alive. Because his experience in, 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 in his hometown of Mississippi was almost caused him his life. So he saw enlisting in war as an opportunity to live and to provide a different type of experience and opportunity uh, for his family. So we, we grew up uh, learning uh, and hearing all of the stories of um, what they had to endure living in Mississippi during the Jim Crow era and, and some of the practices. It's amazing. Some of the practices after the election uh, where they still want to do voter suppression. It's, it's, it's the same thing. Um, so um, he, he enlisted in the war and he, he made it out and, and we had to um, endure uh, hearing the war stories uh, that he had to experience also. But those kinds of things, it, uh, I'm sorry, those kinds of things are what gave our family uh, a set of strength and values and, and foundations about just being human. And so uh, classism and being judgmental and, and things like that was just not a part of, of our value system. It was not something that we focused on. And then getting into the larger community, having to interact with folks that have those kinds of values and perspectives became a part of me having to come into, I like to say, to come into my maturity and to come into the owning of my foundation, uh, which leads to why, again, I do the work that I do in the place that I got all of this great strength from, this, this great foundation from, and that there are still inklings of that foundation still present. Uh, and when I became a cultural agent with USDAC, and I so appreciated that opportunity for a lot of reasons, it gave me some um, new tools to work with, uh, helped me to really dig into more of imagining. And in addition to imagining and imagining that you can actually move these things forward, uh, and then uh, topics and um, actions that were created by uh, USDAC that fit well with the progression of the work that I was trying to do as a cultural organizer. Uh, one of the places uh, that uh, I admired as a young person, I used to go every, um, I think I would go on Saturdays, was the Arts Social Club. And the Art Social Club is a 106-year-old men's organization rooted in what occurred post-slavery during the time uh, uh, of Reconstruction where black folks were gathering so that they would be able to empower themselves. And uh, black folks were creating social groups. So our social club comes out of that frame. And 106 years later, it still exists with that same frame. 
And their mission is very simple. It is to preserve the preserve the history and culture of the African American community while also providing a venue for intellectual conversations. And when when the original uh, cultural engagement work that I was doing in West Baltimore with the visual artists, and we, we called it Cultural Works, when that ended, because we were so exhausted, but that work also allowed me to see back to imagining and being able to do something great and not have your own money to do it. But the fact that you're doing this and the resources become available to expose a bigger thing that, that people found to be very, very important to them because they continue to show up. They continue to participate and together, we we gained knowledge and gained strength and was able to just do a lot of wonderful things without having any of our own money. And, and as an organizer, I like to say, well, magic happens when you're organizing. And uh, I'll say in 2020, look at all, all of those things that happened as a result of, of organizing. And all of it was very, very intentional. Um, so, Denise, in, um, yes, I'm sorry. So, no, just... There was something I wanted to ask you about that organizing because you describe yourself as a cultural organizer and I would like you to, to explain a bit what that phrase means to you because everything you say tells me you're not organizing culture. You're maybe using culture to organize something more powerful and, and deeper. So can you talk a bit about what cultural organizing means to you? So in, in in the work that uh, we started with Cultural Works, uh, we decided um, that utilizing the arts to reflect culture, to reflect who people are and what people do. So we see the artists as a artist, as people of the community who have a role to reflect us back to us. We, we meaning humans, we do all kinds of things. We cook, we clean, we sew, uh, we, we, we parent, we, we listen to music. Um, we have ways of moving our bodies, uh, doing our hair, uh, so on and so forth. And artists can show us to ourselves. That is where I see the power of the arts. And that is where I see the power of the arts in community. And the work that we were doing, it was also trying to frame community arts and what community arts can do for community. As opposed to what arts can do generally or or I guess maybe um, classifying artists on a different plane than, than just regular people. So therefore, in, in the work, we, we use the arts as a way to uh, honor and reflect culture. Uh, last weekend, uh, we developed something called Arch Talks. Um, and it is a celebration of our art. It is a celebration of our culture. It is a celebration of our history. And then the uh, R uh, represents a discussion about reparations. So it's performance space, and I got this through USDAC, uh, the convening in uh, Santa Fe, Arlene. That I said, "Oh no, I have to bring this back to Baltimore." And so we did performances. So um, folks talked about Marion Anderson. Uh, folks talked about. Um, uh, Brooks uh, did uh, music. He plays a guitar and he sung a lot of folk songs about our experiences uh, overall and our uh, way of life here in uh, Baltimore City. Um, but again, using those artists that call themselves artists and they perform art but using it as a means to be able to gather, engage, and introduce and continue uh, 
to honor who we are and those things that's important to us uh, as a way to celebrate ourselves is another frame in which I use for cultural organizing. So it's organizing around our assets and finding ways to co-create. So in doing that, we raise up artists also. We, we give them a venue to perform, to make money, to be honored also. And we also honor just regular people in the community too and allow them to participate in performing also. Because uh, we realize that during the work on the ground that uh, many of us are very, very creative. And sometimes, especially in this country, I believe that creativity is not something that is highlighted like intelligence is. And uh, I believe if if intelligence is higher than, than uh, your creativity, knowing that creativity is a part of intelligence also then it may stifle your creativity and your imagination. Yeah. Well, let's pick up, Denise, on this imagination question because you and I know how important it is to us, but I think it would be interesting for listeners to hear a little bit more about it. You know, I was thinking back in 2015, as a cultural agent, you had organized this community meeting, and the name that was given to those meetings were imaginings because the idea was that people would have an opportunity using art-based methods to exercise their social imagination in situations where, you know, for a lot of people, it was just about surviving. There wasn't that much of um, engagement with a possible future or the, the, the relationship to the future for a lot of folks was fear. Mm-hmm. So, and it turned out that the timing of that was really powerful because um, people in the U.S. may have heard about this more than our listeners abroad, but a man called Freddie Gray was uh, died in police captivity, um, and that triggered uh, several days, quite a long time, of action in the streets that became called the Baltimore Uprising. And you're imagining where you were bringing people together to, to talk about the future. That happened right at the same time. So talk about this, this, the power of this, you know, conceiving. What is the future you want to inhabit? How do we imagine that? How do, how do we act on the power of imagination? Talk about what that has meant to you in, in, in your community. Well, again, if the, the cultural organizing uh, allows you to be able to honor yourself and talk about yourself, your family, your environment through asset type thinking, you know, using the, 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 the typical words as opposed to look at what is happening again and again. We don't have this. We need this. But who are you? What are your resources? Who do you know or who you can be introduced to to be able to talk more about the resources that we do have that we can use to further those things that are most important to us, which begins to let people identify and say and start to believe about the things that really matter to them as opposed to the things that causes us to look through the lens of deficits uh, when we have a long history, black folks just have a long history of having to resist or um, or not be honored, let's say. So imagining and, and using the cultural tools and using the artists allows us to, to get in a space where we can just be, where we can just be and be happy about who we are and then talk about who we really are and what we really have as opposed to the opposite. Uh, That's the main frame of difference between just organizing, organizing around issues and organizing around values, uh, beliefs, the future and using the arts as the backdrop to make it more enthusiastic, to make it more engaging. Uh, I've gone, I've participated in, in so many meetings uh, in the past where it's all about what we don't have, what we need to do, what we shouldn't do. 
And so the culture organizing is all about the opposite of that. Those things that we can do and then being able to have artists at a different uh, level of spirit to the conversation and to the uh, energy of the room. Yeah, sometimes I wonder why organizers don't get this point that if you can actually combine pleasure and purpose, it will be much more powerful than if you beat people over the head with what's wrong and, tr and then try to get them activated. So, you know, hats off to you on that. Denise, I wanted to ask you just some, you know, baseline questions, because as we're doing this podcast, we're asking folks how their work is supported, that kind of thing, just to establish context for our listeners. And I guess for me, that's a two-part question. I'm just so tickled that this 106-year-old men's club has a woman as the executive director right now. And I would like to hear a little bit about the story of how that came about. And then tell us, how, what is the support environment for your work? Are, are you fundraising from public sources, private ones, individual ones? Are you earning income? How, do, what, how does that look too? Well, you know, we're still all volunteers and uh, we do seek out uh, resources. We have uh, gotten some uh, government. Uh, it was That was a beautiful thing that occurred. Uh, what is this? 2021 and 2019, our uh, former mayor, Catherine Q, uh, she, she ended up getting in, in, indicted and she is in jail. But I just have to do a shout out. Uh, to her, and, and she was one of the, at that time of the 2015 uprising, she was a state senator, and she's always, uh, she was always a businesswoman, but uh, she and Elijah Cummings, they were on the front lines uh, at Pennsylvania North Avenue, which was the central focus of the uprising, especially in terms of how the media wanted to focus on it. So that, uh, she was on the front lines and she ended up uh, getting elected uh, as mayor. And for the first time in Baltimore City, part of her platform was to focus on West Baltimore because of the level of uh, disinvestment that occurred over the years in West Baltimore. And she did that. She, she raised money and she worked with some people and developed... Um, capital grants and operating grants for small groups in, in West Baltimore gave out a whole lot of money. And that was the first time in, in my adult life where I saw government giving money to black folks. And I just have to say, that's a real thing. That is truly a real thing. And in part of the work, uh, of, of cultural organizing, um, for me has been the acknowledgement uh, that the usual suspects, um, the people that usually represent uh, an organizational framework, are rooted in um, rooted in um, very unflexible uh, policies and uh, processes. Usually, are the ones that are able to get the major resources to do their work, and I guess I'm talking about the nonprofit sector. Um, and in working in large nonprofit sectors, I also learned uh, that uh, they don't always tell the truth to um, the community. They engage them under a whole lot of pretense. And they don't empower them. And one of the things about cultural organizing, organizing overall is about empowerment. And cultural organizing tries, tries to add an, another layer of that. For example, uh, last week when we did Arch Talks, um, a person contacted me. I know her. And she said, oh, you're talking about reparations upcoming. Great. Are you going to perform? She said, perform. And I said, yeah, you, you know, you just get up in the middle floor and you, you talk about why this is important to you. And she did it. And uh, to her own amazement, she also stated, wow, I found my voice. Thank you for this platform. But that is what organizing is about. And then the cultural organizing, those things that you're passionate about, uh, adds that dimension to it, to empower people, to embrace people. Um so I forgot how I got there. So I'm trying to backtrack. <laughs> Denise, let me let me just ask you something at at this point, because 
I like you, I use the the term empowerment. I think empowerment is at the heart of the work that I'm trying to do and it's why all of this work matters. But I also meet quite often young artists who are uh maybe don't like the the language of empowerment sometimes because they think that it it seems like they are they can't give power to someone else can you say a little bit about what you understand by empowerment and crucially how it happens how do people become empowered through the work that that you've been involved in my initial knowledge around organizing the intention of organizing that I learned was to identify leadership, support leadership, and build leadership. And in the community that, that I grew up in, that was example through the political process uh, because we all voted uh, for the same candidate because people were groomed for leadership. And that is at the root of organizing uh, in terms of how I was taught. So there are people, um, we believe that all people have abilities and skills and knowledge and creativity. And how do you activate that so that people can own that and step up some? And also in the practice and in my own life, in the workforce, Sometimes you don't get acknowledged for what you do know, for what you do well. You don't get promoted. And in my own experience, if you push back, you get isolated. Sometimes you don't even get complimented on on doing a, a job well done or acknowledged for coming up with a great idea. And so in the work of engaging people, all of those things are at play. Uh, as an organizer, you're watching, you're listening, you're uh, trying to design things based on what you hear and the people that you interact with. And then you invite them into that space so that they can, I like to say, so that they can experience themselves. And by experiencing themselves in conjunction with other people, I'll give another example of the Arch Talks. You get, applaud, you get applauded. People come to you that you've never met. They compliment you on what you've said. Uh, you exchange business cards or, or numbers and you got a connection. Hey, you, you feel good. You walk out feeling better. You, you walk away feeling acknowledged. And so empowerment for me is about being acknowledged. It is about being acknowledged and being accepted and being supported. Um, and um and in your work or, or your beliefs or who you are as a human being. So for, for us, cultural organizing is about honoring your honoring your humanity, humanity, being a human being and being honored for that as something of value. That's for me is the simple part of it. Did that did I answer your question? Yeah, that was that was beautiful. I agreed with everything you say. I, I was sitting here smiling and thinking also to myself that, actually, one of the one of the real, really fundamental experiences is whether people have felt acknowledged or not. Some people have the advantage in life, and it's I I don't say this in any sense critically because they just are are lucky. Uh, in terms of their social situation, but they have always found it easy to get acknowledged and it's very difficult for them to understand what it's like to always be overlooked, to always be unseen, to always be not the the person that's listened to. And ev so I think everything you're saying is really powerful and important. I agree. Thank you. I agree. Which is why we invited you on the podcast, because you have such a good way of expressing these things. Um, I, Denise, I just want to pick up for a second with where we were with um, the Arch uh, Social Community Network, the Arch Social Club. 
because you were saying that everybody who's taking responsibility there is still a volunteer. And, you know, for the folks in Europe and abroad, often there's a lot more public support. Not everybody wants it. Not everybody gets it. But it's more possible to have a job job in this field Mm -hmm. of cultural organizing one way or another. And as we've interviewed folks in the United States, almost everybody has a day job. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to ask, is, is, that the, is that the frame that fits your situation, that you're needing to do other work to support the major investment of time and energy and love that you are putting into cultural organizing? Absolutely. I have a day job, and that day job is so that I can eat. And my cultural organizing uh, work is so that I can feed my soul. It is what makes me happy. And in in doing it, it limits our capacity. But at the same time, because it makes us feel so good in terms of the group working together. So so now, I mean, we, we've had a lot of progression. And so we, we, we pat ourselves on the back for, for those small things that have occurred. So there's the Art Social Club and... There's the Art Social Community Network, and now we have we have the friends of, of the Art Social Club. So it's something about what we do, who we are, and what we represent when people come into our space that is attracting people. And uh, so we, we seek out grant funds, and we've been able to get, because of what we represent and what we're doing, We've been uh, given some money without even asking. And I love that. Yeah. And the the reason why I love that so much is because then we don't have to compromise ourselves. Uh, People are acknowledging that what we're doing is important, that is worthy, that is valuable, that it is uh, supporting uh, community. Um. Uh, we uh, we were invited a year or so ago, I don't know, maybe, it was 2019, I believe, to meet with the, the Lieutenant Governor of Maryland. Um, they, I can't remember his name, I'm sorry. But anyway, we, we met with him and, and other people were, were at the meeting. And we just talked about who we are and uh, what we do. And we didn't ask him for any money. And next thing we knew... His office was, was calling us and um, giving us a load of money. And uh, that is basically what I prefer uh, is being able to be supported because you acknowledging that the work that we're doing is really valuable to the place that we care about. And we're showing that that we care about the place by those really small things that we do, such as cleaning such as giving out food, such as bringing people in uh, to have conversations, such as bringing in uh, the music, the theater, the art, so on and so forth, which allows us to attract a whole lot of different kind of people in the space, even in a, 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 a place that uh, Pennsylvania North Avenue, right in the heart of, of West Baltimore, uh, uh, data-wise, uh, that intersection draws f- at least 5,000 people a day. It's very, very busy. And uh, it is not the most attractive place, but people still still come. And so we credit that to, hey, this is, this is what we do. This is this is what we're representing, and and we're getting supported. And the hope, of course, is that we would love to to um, be able to not have to do both, have a day job, volunteer, and and, and, and find money. Um, and we're hoping that one day we will get there. But right now, we continue to do the work because it makes us happy. And we're meeting a lot of great people, and, and we're making a difference in people's lives, and that's important to us. Yeah, now I wanted to ask you to draw out one little thing that you said here because, um, you know, Francois and I had done some conversations with different people online and something that he said recently that really struck with me is that during this whole quadruple pandemic period, there have been a number of groups who 
they're saying, you know, theater will come later or whatever will come later. But what we really need to do is, is enact our caring for people, help them find what they need, keep them connected to each other. Um, and I've been following you guys on Facebook and I see that you, you were doing this food distribution during the pandemic. Can you say a little bit about um, the connection between the cultural organizing work and the work just to support people to get over, to get through during this this challenging period? Yeah, I, 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 and we, we started that March of last year and uh, we're still doing uh, food distribution um, um, two times a, a week. And just thinking about um, the fact that there's a pandemic you're at risk, your health, your life is at, at risk. What is the most important thing that, that we can do for ourselves and that we can do for our community that we care about? We can feed them. And so for over a year, we've been focused on just feeding people. And it is just a, for us, a true representation of our value in caring for our community. And people appreciate it. It's it's like another look for us. We're out there. We we get help. Uh, we have developed more partnerships. We we've been able to, you know, of course, give out the PPP equipment. We've been able to give out art supplies uh, to young people. Set up voter registration. Just have a presence in the community where it shows the community that we're supporting them. And by supporting them, we're supporting our beliefs also. And that has been our primary focus. And in, in, in between all of that, we still seek out dollars, still seek out partnerships. Um, we had our first soft opening last week. And um, in um, June, we'll have a, another jazz um a jazz gathering uh, for the community as a, as a second opening for us. And we've been in the middle of planning and uh, mobilizing. Arlene, I'm not sure if you know uh, Flooney Hutchinson. Yeah, yeah. Progressive economist. Yes. He decided in, we had our first public um, nonprofit meeting uh, in 2019. And he was invited, and he and Dr. Harris, uh, they came down to check us out <laughs> and to assess our abilities. <laughs> I have to laugh, but anyway, he decided that he wanted to partner with us. And so again, back to organizing, being rooted in organizing, part of that is being able to identify resources so those resources can help people build their knowledge, uh, build their ability to become more actionable in those things that they care about. So we, we now have a partnership with Lafayette College, uh, Dr. Hutchison, where we're framing it under merging the two topics together, culture and economics. And how does, how does culture and economics play hand in hand since we also worked on becoming an arts and entertainment district. And just to, to let the uh, listeners know that during the time that I, I was coming up in West Baltimore, we had a cultural district and it was Pennsylvania Avenue. And at that time that word wasn't used, but that was our entertainment district in which you had businesses, you had clubs, uh, music, fashion, just that's where people went in Baltimore City. I don't care what side of town you lived on. You came to Pennsylvania Avenue. So we developed uh, the uh, the Black Arts and Entertainment District through the Maryland State Arts Council. Did all the work of engagement and um, submitted the application, and they accepted that. So we have a group of young folks who wanted to reclaim old history of West Baltimore and old history being Pennsylvania Avenue so that they could have a place to honor themselves. And I think that's a beautiful story. 
so we have that going on and the partnership to be able to further look at and understand organizing and mobilizing around culture, who we are in West Baltimore and why we like that thing about West Baltimore and how we could get the knowledge of economics to be able to better understand how to position our community in the future. That's like the, the uh, breadth of the work. And we're excited about that. So we've been working on those kinds of uh, projects uh, also. And people are buying into it. So for me as an organizer, my primary uh, way to evaluate is if people keep showing up, then I'm hearing the right thing from people. <laughs> You are so right about that. <laughs> well, we're going to wind up in a minute, you know, and we'll put some uh, URLs uh, next to the podcast so that people can learn more. Um, so is there, uh, and, and I can do that with you by email, but I just wanted to ask, is there any web address you'd like to give people right now just to stay in touch with the, the art stuff? We do have a web address, and you know, um, it is, <laughs> I shouldn't guess it, I should look it up. Um, it is A-S-C-N-I-N-C dot org. Okay, A-S-C-N, Arch Social Community Network, I-N-C, Incorporated dot org. Fantastic, and we'll put those things on, on the um podcast information as well. Well, I know Francois is going to want to say thank you too, and but I'm going to wedge in here and do the first thank you and say what a pleasure it always is to hear how incredibly creative and productive and committed and grounded and just wonderful you are. Thank you so much for being on the podcast, Denise. We really, really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, Denise. It's been, it's been an education for me. It really just to hear the thoughtfulness and the insight that underpins the work and the commitment that you bring to it. It's uh, been wonderful to hear. Thank you. It's yeah. nice meeting you, Francois. <laughs> Arlene, it's always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. Now that you've heard the podcast, you can go to the website to find out more details, including references and links. The website's at meow.net. That's M-I-A-A-W dot net. See you there.